Hi. Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we'll hear from Leah Hextall on what she thinks needs to change in women's hockey and why the NHL needs to step in to make things right. Connor Geeky, second overall pick of the Winnipeg Ice in Thursday's WHL Bantam Draft. He joins the show to talk about his big day. And Darren Dunn of Assiniboia Downs previews the Kentucky Derby. That's on the podcast. All right, so let's get into the For the Game movement. Uh, if you're not aware, listeners at home, the a big boycott for women's hockey and the idea that they wanted now is the time to create this one league. Liz Knox, who was the head of the CWHLPA, was on the news last night. This is part of what she said. We're not asking for millions. You know, we're asking for a livable professional wage. Um, and in a lot of these cases, the, the scenery, the, the painting that you're getting of women's hockey um, is really <laughs> desperate times. I mean, we get one stick a year. We we had a girl on our team this year who had her car broken into and her skates stolen, and she had to go out and purchase new skates. In a professional league, you're taken care of. And, you know, that's not an issue. And so I think that's what we're looking at. We're looking at what kind of what kind of painting do we want to make about women's professional hockey and female athletes in general? We deserve that respect. We've earned it. We've been here long enough playing just to be grateful. Now let's ask for more. So Leah, now is it really onto the NHL to change its stance on the not getting involved with the women's game? I truly think so. And Liz Knox also stated this yesterday, which I thought was a very strong point, is that the NHL and the commissioner, Gary Bettman, has been very consistent, and I'm really appreciative of that, as are the players. Like he's always said, the NHL will not get involved until there's not a viable option for professional hockey for women. And Liz said it best yesterday. She said 200-plus women, there is no option for them because they do not look at the NWHL as an option. Because just like the CWHL and all the leagues that have come before it that have done so much good for the game, because truly without these leagues, we would not have the female hockey players that we've had in the past and the present and even in the future without those leagues. But those leagues have all not been viable. They have all not been a business model that has had the ability to be sustainable. So there is a void now. And I think the NHL needs to change its stance because quite frankly, Christian, you know, Commissioner Gary Bettman, when he looks back at his legacy, he's the longest serving commissioner in sport right now. He's done a lot of things for the National Hockey League, no matter what people think. You know, the owner said, we want to see hockey in non-traditional markets. What has he done? What are we talking about right now? We're talking about the Carolina Hurricanes and the Columbus Blue Jackets. Bang, bang. You got Tampa Bay, who's won Stanley Cups. Bang, bang. He's done what they've told him to do. He's grown the game. He's made millions and millions of dollars for them. But if he is the one that comes in and says, I am creating the WNHL, I will tell you right now, that is his legacy. Because that is historic And that is civil rights type action right there, because this is what this gets down to. This is more than just the female game in women's hockey. We're talking about female sport in general and giving it a level playing field. And for Gary Bettman to come in to create that league, he is creating a place for women's players to play professionally for decades to come, which they have never had in sport. And to me, why would you not want to do that? If you're the owners, the 31 owners of this league, why would you not want to take a percentage of the money you're making? And we're talking millions. 
and give it to the female game, to grow the game, to create the game, to give it to the grassroots and to provide the infrastructure. I mean, I just don't see why at this point they can't see that it's time to step in because the women have spoken. And if we're not going to listen to the players, then who are we listening to? We see the WNBA has been around since the late 90s. The NBA was really, that's they created it. David Stern is the founder of the mm-hmm. WNBA. And that league has had its ups and downs, but it's still here. It's still kicking 22 years later. And it's one of the premier women's sports leagues in the world. And we see from that what can happen when the, the men get involved. And that's the big part of this is that I'm the first to always say this. Uh, you know, sometimes I go out and speak. You know, CEOs, I believe that still it's 98% of CEOs are male. Men rule the world. There are political leaders as well in the majority of countries. And we need, as women, we need male allies. It's a, you know, we need that in order to help set us up to succeed. And it's a partnership. And we do need the men to get involved. You know, I have to say, I heard a few of the players in the NHL, and I know the playoffs are on, but a couple of them were asked about what happened yesterday. But I would have thought that I would have seen some statements from NHL teams. I thought I would have seen a statement from the NHLPA. I'm a little disappointed of the reaction because the players' voices matter. They matter because they are the ones that are under the spotlight. They're the ones who are the stars and have the platform. And I'm not suggesting that they don't support the women, but you've got to be vocal about it. And, you know, the other thing about this too, Christian, that needs to be really clear is that a lot of, you know, Christina Rutherford wrote a fantastic article on sportsnet.ca about the NWHL players who have decided not to join the For the Game movement, stating that what if we do this and there's still nothing for us? We don't want to lose this season and we don't want to shut down the NWHL because what if the NHL doesn't step in? And I really feel that if the NHL steps in, that that fear then goes away and you really have that combined solidarity for one league because this isn't about the CWHL versus the NWHL. This is about one league. And that one league, which they talk about, is not the CWHL or the NWHL. It's the league that can sustain the test of time. And that's the one league that the women are talking about. And they do not get there without the National Hockey League and without the men and the male players being supportive of this initiative. Attention paid yesterday to the drafting of Matthew Savoy, first overall by the Winnipeg Ice in the WHL Bantam Draft. What about number two? Strathclair's Connor Geeky racked up 83 points in 31 games with the Yellowhead Chiefs AAA Bantam squad last year. Joins us now on the sports show. Connor, what was yesterday like for you? Uh, yesterday was, uh, was pretty exciting. Right? Uh, long and uh, me and my mom kind of took the time and just kind of watched the draft and uh, ended up going to Winnipeg. You probably knew that you were going to be taken pretty high in the draft. Did you ever think that you'd be playing for a team, though, in the same province that you grew up in? Uh, no. I knew I knew me and Winnipeg uh, talked, but uh, I mean, it's a business, right? they got to do what they got to do to be their best. And luckily they fought for me, and uh, I was lucky enough to get drafted by So when you heard that Winnipeg was trading up to number two, did you start to think, oh, I could be going there? Uh, yeah, I definitely, definitely had that feeling and that hope that uh, might land in that big spot of Winnipeg. And uh, now that you, uh, I guess, what was the the moment like when you found out that you were getting drafted? Uh, it was definitely, it was definitely uh, speechless almost. You kind of 
kind of knew that this is this is real. Like it's not it's not fake. It's it's pure pure realness. How would you describe your game? Uh, my game's probably uh, John Tavares would probably be a close close replica. You know, we can pass, we can we can uh, shoot, we can score, but we're more of a playmaker type. We play both ends of the ice, and we try and do as much as we can for a team. So, what's the next year going to look like for you then? Um, I'm hoping to play with Yellowhead again, uh, midget, and we'll see what it goes like from there. If I can get a couple games in, then that's their call. But hopefully, just playing with Yellowhead and maybe winning a championship with them. Can't uh, let you go without asking you about Matthew Savoy. What do you know about him? Have you seen him play before? Uh, I've definitely played against him, and uh, everybody says he is. He's good. He's got a great shot, and he sees the ice well. He's got lots of skill, so. He's got lots of potential for that team, and uh, I hope he uh, chooses WHL route. So, uh, I guess, did you have any celebratory dinner last night, or was it just another normal day other than getting drafted into the WHL? Uh, it was just another normal day, actually. I headed to badminton after the draft, and now I'm in Winkler at Provincials and uh, hoping we can do something there. All right, well, uh, good luck. I'll let you go. I appreciate you taking a couple minutes to talk to me tonight, and congratulations again. Thanks, Christian. Kentucky Derby also goes tomorrow at Churchill Downs in Louisville, the first jewel of the Triple Crown. Joining me to preview it, Darren Dunn of Assiniboia Downs. And Darren, how fun is this time of year for you? Well, really is maybe the official kickoff to the thoroughbred season, even though it's year-round, the sport. We're open year-round, but... uh, you know, we open for live racing at Assiniboia Downs Mother's Day, uh, right around the corner on May the 12th. But uh, it's hard not to think of the first Saturday in May, and they call the most exciting two minutes in sports. And uh, think about the Kentucky Derby, and uh, you know the pomp, the prestige, and obviously the history in uh, what the run for the roses is. Now, the question has to be asked: with two Triple Crown win- winners in the last four years, is that mystique worn off a little bit? The fact that we're no longer waiting, waiting, waiting for it anymore. I think that's a fair comment for sure. I mean, Justify uh, wowed everybody last year, came in undefeated, left undefeated after uh, sweeping the Triple Crown and uh, in scoring in, obviously, the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, and then the Belmont Stakes. And then, uh, yeah, American Pharoah in 2015, both for legendary trainer Bob Baffert, who's going to have a tremendous shot again this year and at least beginning with winning the Kentucky Derby. But, uh, yeah, that uh, was uh, over 30 years uh, as far as the drought goes, uh, going back to the 70s when we had a Triple Crown winner, and I guess it proved that, in fact, it can be done, and, and not only can be done but repeated uh, uh, quickly. So maybe a little bit of a mistake. Still very, very difficult to do. Uh, so I don't think it'll take anything away from any horse who accomplishes it, but uh, it's not something we're talking about constantly now as much as we were before. There's no obvious horse in this year's field that could go for a, a triple crown threat, at least right now, right? Yeah, you're exactly right. It's a very wide open race. Uh, a late scratch this morning is bringing the field size down to 19, and, and therein really lies the difficulty with the Kentucky Derby. Not only is it the best of the best three-year-olds peaking at the right time, it's simply a matter of traffic, and it's very, very busy out there. It's a big, wide track with a very long stretch, but 19 horses is an incredibly unusual amount to have in a race in North America, very common in Australia and certainly in uh, Europe. But here it isn't, uh, and to that point, uh, you can have the best horse and be compromised very quickly, pinched down on the rail, pushed wide, bumped around. Uh, a lot of cases you can find that, in fact, uh, the best horse doesn't win the Kentucky Derby, but the horse who got the best trip does. 
So Omaha Beach was the favorite, but is uh, bowed out of this event because of a breathing issue. Could be back for the last two, or maybe at least the final of the Triple Crown races. So that leaves us right now. The favorite is a horse called Game Winner at 9-2. to two. Is there any real obvious favorite, or they just kind of had to pick one? No, you know, uh, I'm going to say, well, for sure they had to pick one, and I think that uh, yeah, your point is, is, is right on. There isn't an obvious one. For that matter, 9-2, to two, if you bet $2 to win, that gets you back $11. A 9-2 to two favorite isn't really a favorite. In our sport, a favorite is more like 2 to 1. 2 bucks to win gets you back 6, or maybe even a little bit lower odds. A 9-2 to two really is an unusual, wouldn't be considered a long shot, but would certainly be called a moderately priced horse. So a 9-2 to two favorite tells you there is no real favorite. It's a wide open race. 19 horses in here, I think you could make a case for about 7 of them that I think could legitimately win on skill. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, out of the 19 that are going to post, um, and again, when I talk about traffic trouble and needing to get a smooth trip, and this is a little unusual, there's only two jockeys in the race out of those 19 that have actually even won the Kentucky Derby. 13 honor code has John Velasquez, one of the best in the world. He's won it twice. And then number 16, uh, game winner, in fact, the lukewarm, if you will, morning line favorite, has Joel Rosario, who won it in 2013 with Orb. So there's a lot of guys out there who are highly skilled, best-in-class jockeys, but they've never actually broken through to win this, and it doesn't make it any easier. You can defer to the trainers then maybe, and Bob Baffert has three going to post, and they may very well be first, second, and third favorites. That would be a history-making effort in itself, but he's won the Kentucky Derby five times, 15 Triple Crown races, 15 Breeders' Cup races. You could certainly defer to him and say, if you back the Bafford horses, you probably have a better than uh, you know better than most chance to get it done. Uh, a few of the other trainers in here are certainly legendary in Hall of Fame. Uh, Todd Pletcher's won a couple derbies. Bill Mott's got a great chance in here, another Hall of Fame trainer, but he's 0 for 8 in the derby, and does that mean on one hand he's due, or on the other hand he can't get it done in the big dance? Uh, we'll find out Saturday. Now, it looks like rain is in the forecast for Churchill Downs. How does that change the style of the race? In a big way, in my opinion, it depends on the amount of rain, of course, and whether it's sloppy or muddy, if you will. And, you know, the term mud in our sport really is a little bit of a misnomer. Most of the tracks are largely sand, but uh, we'll call it mud for the sake of. It factors into a a number of issues, Uh, and I'm going to go back to uh, very quickly uh, where you travel. If you're trapped in along the rail, you're going to get a a lot of that sand or mud uh, kicked in your face, certainly not in any harm's way to a horse, but it makes it very difficult to see. Jockeys will go out with probably six, seven, eight pair of goggles uh, strapped on top of each other on their helmet. And uh, when you're out there, uh, you know, six feet in the air, 115 pounds going 45 miles an hour, and you've got to reach up with one hand left on the, the reins and one hand pulling down an individual piece of goggles, not unlike when your windshield becomes covered with mud and you put the wipers on and then you've got to do it again. Well, doing that in a horse race with 19 horses uh, compromises potentially your ability to get the best trip or the path you would normally take if you didn't have to fool around with some one-handed riding at times. So between, uh, you know, the, the dirt being kicked back, um, what jockeys have to do to make sure they're not compromised. And I guess the other thing you throw in is just purely the breeding. Not every horse can run on an off track. Some excel at it. Others, it might be their first time going through it. And the learning experience is not what you want in the Kentucky Derby with so much money on the line. For that matter, uh, a record amount of money, $3 million, which is $1.8 million to the winner. Before I let you go, Darren, can I get a winner out of you? Well, I'm a fan of Roadster, uh, Bob Baffert horse, who uh, has won two in a row. Interestingly enough, Omaha Beach, who was the favorite, was a horse who was scratched with a uh, what's called an entrapped epiglottis, and that affects breathing. It's very correctable with minor surgery. Roadster had the exact same thing after surgery last summer. 
He got it done and he's won two in a row. I think he comes from off the pace and he's got a favorable post on the outside. I normally wouldn't say that because you like to save ground in a horse race, but in the Kentucky Derby with so many horses, you don't want to be pinned down along the rail. It can get a little bit difficult in there. Staying clear and back of horses might present the best opportunity. So my money's going on Roadster number 17. All right, Darren, I appreciate your time and we'll check in later on in the season. Terrific. Happy to do it. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck, but Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?